Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you have an undergrad in any discipline and would like to reinforce it with a Master's in Business, ATU are offering their Master's in Business Management Conversion Program. Call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. I'm Kieran Donald. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is the owner of Columkill Press in Derry and spokesperson for the Derry University Group, Garwin Downey. A former journalist with the Irish News, the Sunday Times, the Belfast Telegraph, and the Derry Journal, he was also editor of the Derry News. In 2005, Garwin moved into the publishing sector through Guildhall Press. Three years ago, he set up Columkill Press and his latest publication, The Handy We Guide to Derry, has just gone on sale. Garwin is currently working on 25 books and is planning to have four of those published before the end of the year. Garwin, you are very welcome to Business Matters. It's great to be here. Thank you very much, Kier. Garwin, before we discuss Colin Killer Press's latest production, uh, can you take me back to the start of your love of words and writing and how you came to set up your own publishing business? I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't love reading. I remember when I was about 10 years old reading my first adult book. It was War in an Irish Town by Eamon McCann. And I read it because I was heading off to St. Columns the following year. And I knew that there was stuff in it about St. Columns that I wanted to, I suppose, forewarn myself. And ever after, I have just devoured books. The transition, I suppose, into journalism, it wasn't really a natural one for me. My entire family are teachers or lecturers, so it bucked the trend a little when I decided that I wanted to become a, a journalist. It happened in, in Galway at, at, at UCG, as it then was, and I began writing pieces for the student magazine, and I ended up editing it. And I kind of knew from that point forward that this is what I wanted to do. It's as somebody said, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's what writing was for me. Uh, after I left university, I started freelancing with various papers, Irish News, Derry Journal, Belfast Telegraph. I got staff job then with the uh, Irish News, I think was the first. And uh, eventually I went into the BBC, trained as a, a a radio producer and a, a broadcast journalist uh, with the BBC there in Belfast and in Derry did a wee bit of TV work and but decided that there was more out there went back into newspapers because I think that was always my first love did some editing with the, the Derry News edited a, a, a literary supplement called Verbal and while I was doing that I was writing bits and pieces of my own stuff I published a couple of books and more and more decided, no, books is, is what I want to be doing and came out of journalism pretty much full time in uh, about 2005. I'd worked for the Sunday Times for a while and decided I'm going to make a go of writing and editing books. Worked with Guildhall Press, who were marvellous for uh, 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 great employers and great people to work with. Learned a great trade from them. Uh, Paul from Guildhall Press went into semi-retirement, so after, at that stage then, I set up Colin Kill Press. I actually set up a company called Hive Studio Books first. We did a number of publications, and then I went into Colin Kill Press. So that, in a, a very short nut, uh, nutshell, is, 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 is how I became a poet. <laughs> 
Just going back to your first job at the Irish News, how was that step? Uh, it was great and very exciting. It was the early 90s when you still had an awful lot happening politically in the North and in Derry. I became the Northwest correspondent uh, and it was... Uh, we actually set up a specific Northwest edition, and again, that was it was a great experience for me. I was a young man in my twenties, and I was reporting on Derry to the world, or so I thought. And it was uh, it was the most exciting thing I ever did. As, but the great thing about the Irish News as well is, is that it taught me how to write properly. I think when I had been working previously for local newspapers and what have you, they let you away with a certain amount. Whereas the Irish News, they wanted you to be a complete pro. So your writing had to become of a standard that was very, very, very high. And I loved that and I really appreciated that. And I hope I've carried it with me. Could you give me an example, Gavin? Very simple thing, I suppose. Uh, that, say, that, uh, a local paper, and I mean no disrespect to them, will allow you to write 50 or 60 words in an opening line or an opening paragraph. Uh, whereas a, a paper with uh, uh, which is going out nicely will say, no, 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 we want you to focus. We want that first idea to be razor sharp. You get that down to 28 words, no more, maybe even 24. And you have to think. And it really is. It's, it's, it's quite hard. So you learn how to parse. You learn how to edit. And you really do. You learn how to write better. Especially when, when guys, some editors are sending you back your copy and saying, no, we want that sharpened. We want that down to 200 words from your 400 or what have you and uh, we want it written in a particular way that the reader can read from top down which is how reportage is written uh, rather than as a feature and it makes you a far better writer. I often and, and, and I know this when, when, when I'm as a publisher now, when I get scripts in from people who have served as journalists, I know I'm going to get good material because I know they've been trained in the art of real uh, precise writing. Sometimes with the best will in the world, people, and this this again is no disrespect, people who leave school and go on to English literature degrees or what have you, they'll send you very well thought out pieces, but they're completely dense and illegible and unsellable and unintelligible. And the, you, you'll go back and say, well, I can't understand that. What chance of the punters? And I'll go, 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 but no, 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 that's the point. You're not supposed to understand it. And I go, well, Actually, for me, the point is I'm supposed to understand it. I, I, I hope that doesn't come out in any way as if it's if it's sort of in any kind of snobbery with regards to writing, but I do like clarity. And, uh, that, that's what I would look for first when, when somebody's telling a story. Uh, can you recall your, your first big story for the Irish News? I can probably record... Uh, yes, yes, the... F- I did the, 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 the biggest I suppose would have done. I, I did the Grace Steel funerals and then I did the court cases after. They were very, I suppose, unhappy uh, uh, stories and very uh, very difficult actually both to cover and to to report on. Thankfully the same year actually I, I also covered the Derry win of the, the All-Ireland final which was much more joyous and so I got to experience 
two very different sort of styles of writing as well. I was very interested in sport as well. I also I covered the the, the World Cup for the Irish News in 1994, and it was it was the single greatest experience of my life, other than my marriage. I have to say, it was just brilliant to go out there uh, to America and to have fun watching football, writing about it, and getting paid for it. It was just amazing. How long were you out there for, Kevin? Three weeks. Uh, as long as Ireland effectively uh, we were in New York and Florida both and it was I think you were there as well Keir. I was you, you, because you, you wrote stuff for the Terry Journal That's at great. the same time and it was just it, it was amazing I think my, I, the book I subsequently published on it uh, was called Just One Big Party and that's what it was I, Irish fans are brilliant they travel with hope but no great expectation. They're not weighed down with expecting that you're going to you're going to win this thing. We beat Italy, which was incredible, and Italy nearly won the thing. So it was just it was it, it was a, a, an epic time. Would that be the high point of your journalistic career? Uh, of the early journalistic career, certainly it was. Yes, yes, it was. Actually, I think in all, if I was, and something I've never really given much thought to, uh, I. I did. I, I wrote a piece as well. I suppose subsequently in 2010 at the publication of the Savile Inquiry for the Guardian about um, uh, about the Derry View on Bloody Sunday, and I was very, very pleased with that. And that for me was it marked, I suppose, a real kind of end to uh, I suppose the conflict here. And I, I really enjoyed doing that piece, but. As a sort of period of time in my life, the World Cup, I have to say, was just, it was immense. I was working, we were going to matches, and I had to find them places, because this is the 1990s where fax machines were rare, so I had to run around with my copy, handwrite it, and if I couldn't find a fax machine, I had to ring the Irish News, they gave me a special card, and... Uh, read it out to a copy taker who was in at a special hour that they would be able to take it immediately and uh, and, and transfer it for the uh, uh, for the paper for the following day. So it was, I, I, I was it was a learning experience, obviously, uh, but it meant that you had to be in your best behaviour as, as well. Which uh, <laughs> do you miss the buzz of all that, Kevin? Not really. No, I, I don't. I, after I left journalism per se. It took me a wee while to settle down and realise that not everything is a deadline and not everything has to be done, particularly within radio. Radio, you're doing bulletins every hour, you're, it can be even more regular, it can be every half hour. And it's like you're getting an adrenaline hit all that time. And I don't think it could be good for you to be doing that for all your life. And you don't really get a chance to get an overview, a helicopter view of what you're doing, what you're what your big product is going to become or what, what you're doing with your life even and what your, I suppose, macro projects are. And uh, you're just running from short-term project to short-term project. So I like then to be able to step back. First, in, in, when I went back in the newspaper, I liked the fact that I was, I was editing a, a newspaper twice a week, which was good. It wasn't too hectic. It allowed you to think, to develop ideas and develop and, and, and constantly improve. Whereas... You don't get that with radio at all. It's, it's so instant. And then when you do books, books are they're generally kind of they're, they're projects that last a year or possibly two years. So there's an awful lot of thought goes on them, and then an awful lot of care goes on them, and a, a, lot, a lot of thought goes into them. And I have to say, I kind of prefer that longer process. In relation to radio, talk to me about your time there. Uh, I worked full time for the BBC from the 1990s to the early 2000s. I was in Derry first in Foyle, which was 
brilliant. You just did everything. You literally could work in a newsroom and you could do a hundred different things a day from reading the news to presenting programs to doing interviews for Belfast to uh, effectively handling guests for the likes of CNN and, 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 and interviews all over the world. So you might have had uh, John Hume would come in if something important had happened and you would be his handler for the day and you would be lining him up with the likes of CNN, Fox News, uh, BBC, World, all the different international statements or, or, or stations. And it was that, that, that was very exciting. And then I moved to Belfast. I did a year in Belfast in the newsroom there. Uh, it was the year of the Good Friday Agreement and the Oma bomb. And it was... I think it was it was actually a very fraught time in Irish history and a tense time and because of that I don't think I, I got as much out of it or enjoyed it as much as, I, as as perhaps I could have and I was also travelling up and down as well so I was there for about 14 months and it was it was very interesting I learned an awful lot but I was very very happy to get back to Radio Foyle uh, where there's a great sense of community about FOIL. The closure of Radio FOIL is, and I can't stress it enough, it is a travesty. It really is. It's about cutting off Derry's voice, and Derry is losing a major artery uh, with, with, with the loss of FOIL as well. I know it's not officially closing or whatever, but the cutting of a morning programme that was two hours to half an hour, it really is. It's That's when people listen to radio. It's when people want their news, and because of that I feel that I just I, I think it was a wrong decision and I think it was a wrong-headed decision as well. Uh, I hope that's not sort of uh, uh, putting it too strongly because I, I would like that point to be heard. Gerwin, you would have gained a lot of learnings uh, in your career with the BBC as a reporter, as a newspaper editor. Would it be right in saying that all that has combined well to serve you and what you do now? I think the real joy of what I do now is, is that ultimately I can take all that learning as, as you say and, and bring it to bear in, in, in big projects and I just so enjoy doing it because I suppose working for yourself too there, there is a real joy in that ultimately you stand and feel on your own You've got lots of support around you, obviously, and you've got you've got people who are helping you on all different levels. But you're making the decisions, which I think is, is is great. So you can say, "I like the look of that book. I think I'll take a go on it." And you get to work with some brilliant people. Uh, I have had some marvelous authors, and you get to spend uh, a lot of time with them. Currently, I'm working with Pat McYard on his biography. I have to say, I've very rarely enjoyed a project like it except perhaps the last one and this is often the way of it we did a book recently called Classical Kosh Balia it's an Irish language song collection we did with a man called Dick McGowan who just passed away a couple of weeks ago and it was wonderful because it's a collection of 120 Irish songs which he has lovingly curated and then translated into English with footnotes in both English and Irish and it is it is a treasury and it is a treasure trove and as I was doing this, I was listening to all these songs, which I would have learned at the Gaeltacht many years ago, and I completely rediscovered my love of both the Irish language and of Irish songs. So it was, you, you, you get this, and it is, it is a real joy to work in this business. And where does your love of Irish language come from, Gerwin? From my parents, they're both Irish speakers. Uh, my mother, my mother's family are from Fintown. Uh, my mother was reared in Belfast. She was actually born in Fintown, but she was reared in East Belfast. They were the only 
Irish-speaking family for miles, and they were known in the area as the Mickeys who speak Chinese. So subsequently, many, many, many years later, we published my mother's uh, autobiography or memoir, which is called The Mortons, which was the family name, who spoke Chinese. And it's a lovely wee look at growing up in East Belfast at that time. And to be honest, she's so nostalgic about it and is so happy with it because... uh, for her, there was no difference in being an Irish speaker, uh, and, uh, and they were completely accepted in the community at that time. There's now a plaque outside the house where they used to live. My, uh, in, in memory of my mother's sister, Jerdra, who went on and became head of Irish, or sorry, no, maybe she wasn't head, but she was a senior lecturer in Celtic studies at, at Queen's University. Uh, so the Martins. Uh, would would be very, very well known and they're part of the East Belfast cultural tour so that's from my mother's side my father met my mother through Uncommon Gaelic at Queen's along with Dick McGowan whose book Classical Cospilia we've just done and they they were all lifelong friends and so my father is a lifelong Irish speaker as well and uh, it was just so natural that you would um, you would learn it Garen, we're in your office here in Derry and there's a stack of books here to my left The Mortons Who Spoke Chinese a family memoir Anya Downey is on my in my left hand and on to my right is a book Derry at Play Memories of the Theatre Club and Other Drama by Jerry Downey your father it must be great to um, write about your parents and their life and times it is great and I uh, my parents were very interesting people, both of them, and I felt it was important to remember that. Uh, oftentimes, you read biographies of people who, for one reason or other, are considered very important. Well, the two most important people in my life were my parents, and I was so pleased that my, my mother was a great writer. She was an academic, and uh, she had begun writing stories on her childhood for her sister who had had a stroke, and I thought it would be very nice to put them together. And we did that for her as a Christmas present. And it really took off. And we're now in the third print run of it. But but my mother was improving the book. And she died suddenly. Peacefully and happily, but suddenly. So we decided we'd finish the job. We, we, we did a second edition. And it was just so great to be able to go through all those stories, hear her voice in your head and improve on the original, which is what we now have. My father, slightly different, but it was also lovely to write about his life. He was an actor. He was, he was a footballer first, and he would tell you that my father wanted to be a professional footballer and perhaps should have been, but my grandmother wanted him to be a school teacher, so that was just ruled out and said when Derry City came to try and say no. He wasn't, he wasn't allowed. But he became an actor when he was at Queen's, involved in the Common Gaelic, then uh, with the Theatre Club in Derry, and was very, very talented and would have gone on and acted with Joe Mahan in, in, in series such as Shanachie and other Irish language programmes. Uh, would have done a lot of radio broadcasting as well. So, But the Theatre Club was actually very important in Derry in that it was uh, one of the very few institutions that remained viable and acting during the Troubles here. During the Troubles production stopped touring companies stopped visiting there was no repertory uh, the bigger events stopped happening so somebody had to provide a release or light entertainment or whatever it was for the the populace so these guys a, a group of about 20 people kept going through bomb scares through rail bombs uh, through really troubled times crossing barricades whatever to uh, try and offer a, a, a small 
outlet at the little theatre in Derry, and they did this. They did this right through the troubles. They started in 1970, and they had their last production in 1994. So my father was a producer, and he would have been the chair of of, of the theatre club at different stages as well. Uh, we found they, they produced at least 64 plays that we can we can get on record. So we, we have a list of those. We found the old programmes, old photographs, all the people who would have, have taken part in them, including very famous names. You've got the likes of Johnny McDade from Snow Patrol. He was a theatre club man. Uh, you have Paul McLoon, the undertone. He would have become. Uh, he he started his his his, his, his theatrical career there. Uh, you would have had. Amanda Burton and uh, Amanda Burton uh, she was a theatre club person uh, Eva Berthesel who has won IFTA awards she was there Jennifer Johnson was a theatre club producer so you're meeting all these people as you're writing this book Brian Freel was a member of the theatre action group along with my father uh, and his name is on lists a guy called Reggie Smith very very famous if you look up uh, there, there was a book written called a series of books written called the Balkan Trilogy and they were made into a TV series starring Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh about a British spy operating in Eastern Europe during the Second World War. And Reggie Smith was that man. He came to Derry in the 19, early 1970s to lecture at McGee and was a theatre club producer. So all these guys were about very, very interesting people. And uh, again, but it was totally amateur and it was done because they loved doing it. They, they never made a cent, any of them, but they did it because it was important that somebody was doing it and they loved what they were doing. Gerwin, a lot of your years were spent with Guildhall. When did Colin Kill set up and what was your first uh, title? Colin Kill set up after Hive Studio Books. We published a number of books as Hive Studio Books first. Uh, including one on a, a lady called Margaret Cousins, who was a very, very famous suffragette, uh, who actually ended up in jail in Ireland, India, and England. She was from Derry and educated, or sorry, she was from Roscommon and educated in Derry. And her great great nephew, Keith Monroe, the doctor, brought us this manuscript. And it was brilliant again. And this, this woman went on and became chair of the all Asian Women's Network and set it up and, 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 and formed it. it was a real leading power in the world of the women's movement so we did that and we did a, a history of Chantalo and then I think it was about 19 I'm just at 2019 2018-2019 we began Colin Kill Press uh, we published uh, there was a, we published Derry Streets was the first big one we, uh, we we had published other books before before that but Derry Streets would have been the landmark book it was the Columban anniversary edition and it is a complete history of every roadway every path in Derry from the 6th century to present and it really is, it's a work of art it was a labour of love for John Bryson the author who, who died just shortly before its completion and it includes a map of Derry, which John Bryson literally paced out himself as Derry would have been in the 15th century. Sorry, 16th century, yeah. Cameron, can you give me an example of how long it might take from someone to come to you with an idea to when it rolls off the printing press? It really can depend on how pushed the author or commissioner is to get the book published we can turn around books very very quickly if we are asked to uh, oftentimes it's more often than that it is a it's a process whereby you are uh, giving drafts back and forward and asking for 
I suppose, either amendments or in certain circumstances you might be asking for improvements. So, rare enough. And there we will take a break. Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. Are you a graduate of a non-business discipline and would like to pursue a level 9 in business? ATU Donegal are currently offering their Masters in Business Management Conversion Program. Take the next step in your career and contact the Exec Ed Coordinator on 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie today. You're welcome back to Business Matters. Before the break, Garwin was talking about the process of publishing a book. You can be doing things like uh, finding photographs. You can be doing things like you, you want to make it improving the layout. Uh, you want to make it perfect because... It is quite a tedious process. I, I don't think it's tedious at all. It's, 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 it can be long, but it's not... From my end, I love doing it, so it's, it's never... A, I'm much happier to see a book that is brilliantly presented than a book which is done quickly with flaws. So I, 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 I tend to sort of uh, not force the pace in these things. Generally, a history book can take from start to finish, from when you, you have the first conversation with the author to the final print. It's going to take two years because that's research, writing, more research, fact-checking. Uh, editing, proofing, that whole process, and that—that's you've, you've, you've got a budget. You've got a budget like that. You can see up there. I have a list there of titles uh, of about. There's about twenty-five there, which I am currently at different stages of development on, and I'll have another. I'll have another four out this year, I'd say, uh, including the biography of Pat McYard, which is in an advanced stage, and we are determined to have out at Christmas. That's the one that we're starting production on next. Uh, we're also doing a. Uh, a biography or a memoir of Ken Thatcher, uh, the broadcaster. Uh, literally, we're just about to press go on a book called Fly Fishing on the Fawn, which is just, it's a wonderful book. A first edition of this was written in the 1940s by a man called uh, Clarkie Heaney. And it was just a beautiful, it, it was basically published by, I think it was the Northwest Chronicle or the Derry Chronicle. Beautiful walk along the Fahan and the different spots where you could fish and the different types of flies that you would have to use. I'm not a fisher person or, or an angler at all, but I just find myself mesmerised by his language, his descriptions of the locale, and his real joy about what he was doing and talking about all the different fishes and, and, and what have you. And uh, so what happened was, there's a man called Jerry Quinn, who is a, an avid angler with the Fahan Anglers, brought this in and said, "I'd like to update this, and I'd like to." Uh, add various amendments to it, and I'd like to talk about how the Fahan has changed in the next in the sixty or seventy years since this book was was published. Can I do it? And we thought, God, this would be brilliant, and it is. It's we found beautiful paintings of the Fahan too, uh, done by an artist called Paul Keller. Uh, he's a doctor, and they're just gorgeous so they're illustrating it and uh, originally when the book was done it was done in very tight print and it was actually quite difficult to read but now we're giving it a bit of space we've got photographs we've got beautiful absolutely beautiful fly plates as well and again this is something that I knew nothing about yet now I'm an avid fan of it so and that's a joy about being a publisher is, is that you get a chance to sort of immerse yourself in something properly and it's not in journalism sometimes it can be a, a scant overview and then you're away again to the next one uh, whereas you actually get time to think about these things and think about yes these are important and why they're important Have you a favourite book? A favourite book? 
I think I love the favourite book that I've done is John Brayson's Dairy Streets my own favourite now and then again I love Tleskichel too I'm, I'm actually reading that at home every night I'm, I'm reading the Irish against against the English and, and, and I'm proving myself I'm proving my Irish one the, for, my favourite book before I started this was probably Damon Runyon who'd be an American author he wrote, a, a, he wrote Guys and Dolls but he wrote a series of short stories called On Broadway which is a a look, a satirical look at New York in the 1920s and 30s and it's just, for me, it's one of the, the greatest book collections ever written and uh, or a collection of short stories ever written in a book. Garen, the fact that there's a demand for printed editions of books must be extremely satisfying for you. It is, and I don't think it really has dipped that much. I think that uh, I, I think that to, to, to be uh, honest, Newspapers and magazines seem to have taken a much bigger hit. People still want books. They still want that bigger collection. They like the feel of a bigger book as well. They don't get the same sense of satisfaction reading large bulk, large, large bits of text from from a Kindle or, or or an iPad or what have you. Just one sort of I'll bring you back a minute. My my favourite current book is of course the Handy Wee Guide to Derry. <laughs> <laughs> which I should have mentioned and, and which I think drew your attention to me and that uh, again and another wee labour of love I remember asking a number of years ago a local a local bookshop owner uh, what book do you would you most like to have in your shop and he said I think we should have a guidebook for Terry I said because the number of people that come here and here and ask it I said right so what should be in it and he said well you want everything in it you want the history and you want the restaurants and you want the shopping and you want all this and I thought to myself aye now trying to get a space that I could actually because I had to go and write it myself and then get the photographs from Tom Heaney who did a marvellous marvellous job and you can see there that's a great cover so uh, it took a while longer than uh, than, 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 than I expected. How long did it take? Uh, I wanted to do it for last year, but I ended up doing it for this year. I'm delighted to have it out this year. There, there was little point bringing it out, I suppose, after the, the, the summer season had passed last year. I had begun, uh, I'd begun talking about it and begun planning it last year. And then this year I said, no, I'm going to do it. And, and did. Garen, in the handy guide to dairy, uh, you mentioned dairy being substantially cheaper when it came to accommodation for tourists compared to Belfast and Dublin. Yes, I did a snap poll myself when I was doing the book. I said, right, I'll take the top 10 uh, dairy hotels and compare them against those in Dublin and in Belfast tallied up what they would cost on the night was June the 30th I said right but which I thought pretty much high season and Derry ended up with 40% of Belfast was 40% lower than Belfast and almost 60% lower than Dublin and you're thinking you're also getting breakfast which you won't get in a Dublin hotel anymore you're pretty much certain to get free parking in a Derry hotel as well and that's just the start of it you go out for a meal you're paying about 20 or 30 percent less you go out for a drink you're paying 20 or 30 percent less you go into your shopping and we are so blessed to have the in many many respects the border allows people to pick and choose where they buy things so you could see for yourself that your drink will be cheaper in Derry, but your fuel is cheaper in donegal uh you can get uh and it's the same right across the market and 
because of that, both Derry and Donegal are almost obliged to keep their prices at a, a, they're certainly not the Dublin levels or the Belfast levels because they, it's not that they're in competition with, with it, but they're offering options from the other side. So I think that that has left us extremely good value for money, both sides of the border. Did it surprise you? I think the extent of it surprised me. I always knew it. Uh, I'd lived in Galway, I'd lived in Dublin, I'd lived in Belfast. I always knew they were dearer, but I think the extent of it did surprise me. I thought, 40%? Why wouldn't you stay in Derry and plan your trip around the island from there instead of staying in Dublin where you're going to uh, be packed into a smaller room, you're going to pay higher rates, you're going to pay for your car, and uh, you're probably not going to be able to afford to stay as long. If you go to Derry, stay there, you've got your beaches near your doorstep, you've got all the sort of uh, all the crack that you're going to have elsewhere and then you go for your day trips to Dublin and Belfast instead of the other way about Gerwin, I know you have been busy out and about delivering the wee handy gate to Derry what's the reaction been like so far? I think it's been very positive I, I, I think it's one of those ones that you know is going to do well because I'm <laughs> and they're rare enough in this business I think because it is, it's, a, it's a very simple idea it's your Ron Seal publication it does exactly what it says in the tin I think that it's ideal for hosts and visitors alike I know that when I'm taking people around Derry I'm always thinking what should I be doing next and it's all there you've got everything from your sightseeing as I say to the shops to the what it, what, what, what should the children do there's there's eight pages in that about uh, sort of uh, events for children which is very very important and there's so much to do here everything from the likes of Wild Ireland and Donegal to the the, the, the beaches to uh, the uh, the the various outdoor activities that they can do at all the different places and and of course you've got the likes of the the, the big cinema complexes in Letterkenny and Derry as well uh, you've got the the, the laser um, uh, quest uh Centre in, in, in Letterkenny as well, and the, the book actually it's, it's called the Handy Week Guide to Derry, but it is actually the Handy Week Guide to a thirty mile radius around Derry, and very much is looking towards Donegal. In many respects, the I, I, for most people in Derry, the border doesn't really exist as an entity anymore, and I, I, I think that tourists are finding that more and more true. So it's important to reflect that. Karen, what is the best lesson that you have learned since becoming a publisher? God, now there's a question. The best lesson is always have somebody else edit your work. And I think that that was a lesson that I learned from Pat McYard about, I don't know how many years ago, but all of us can do better when we have oversight and when we have people helping us and I think that, that that's what that really means is, is that an editor is more than just a guy that does the nips and talks an editor is a guy that said maybe if you tried that that might be a wee bit better or maybe if you did that and I need that everybody needs that so I suppose it's it's uh, as Nyarko Karlakela, you need other people to be looking at your work and helping you improve it as well so that that's I listen all the time uh, I, I spend my life trying to find out how can I do this better I, I would never be content with anything it's, it's, it's always right what do I do next and how do I do it better 
Garwin, you are a spokesperson for the Derry University Group, established in 2013 to lobby for the development of an independent cross-border university with its nucleus here in Derry. Yes. Ten years on, are you any nearer to fulfilling the objective? I think we have been uh, an effective lobby group. We ultimately don't have the independent university yet, though I would say that the Royal Irish Academy blueprint published last year is a very, very important step on the way to that. Uh, That's talking about establishing an independent entity which will be an economic driver for the North West. We are very much behind that plan. We informed that plan. We submitted to that plan. there was a meeting this week about that plan, and there is an urgent need for this to happen now. I think uh, a man called John Daly, who's a senior economist with the Northern and Western Regional Assembly, he presented to the meeting in Derry uh, of the Royal Irish Academy, and his report made very stark reading and, and, and hearing in that the Northwest, Donegal, and Derry alike, both sides of the border, it's a different colour from the rest of the country when it comes to the heat map. We are a very light blue, whereas the rest of the country is a light, is a, is, is, is a royal blue. We are, unfortunately, we, we have much less disposable income. We have much less, uh, I, I suppose, formal education. And we are suffering because of it. I think that there is a need for governments on both sides to look at the Northwest come out with a plan and develop a plan that, with, with strict oversight that's going to make sure that this isn't a flash in the pan and that the North West develops in the way that the rest of the Atlantic Coast has developed and that the rest of the East Coast and Belfast has developed. Belfast currently has 83% of all higher education students in the North, 83%. It's almost criminal that level. Dublin is only 40%. London has 20% of the English ones. Uh, Edinburgh and, and Glasgow have about 20% each there, but Belfast is 83%. There, there is a city there that is completely overheating, while there is a city not 70 miles away that is struggling to catch up. And I think there is a need for great regional development and, and, and great action in this area. What do you feel is the reason for Derry still being without a university? I think there's, there's part of this is, is it's historical uh, inertia. And I also think that there is a real drive to establish, by Belfast, to establish itself as a nation city. And that has been the priority for for many years. I think we got real evidence of that three years ago when New Decade, New Deal came out. And the first one of the the, the very specific uh, elements of New Decade, New Deal was for a university. But to see the development of a university in Derry with 10,000 students by 2030 and this was signed off by both governments yet within literally weeks of this Stormont was giving Belfast a loan of 126 million to develop the university campus for Ulster University in North Belfast Derry applied at the same meeting for help to to, 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 to sort of uh, uh, to develop a new campus there and was thrown it was actually thrown out and said no 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 we're going to do Belfast first. So effectively what you had was is that Belfast at all the higher education budget, not just for that year, but for many years to come. So uh, you would like to say that things have changed an awful lot, but our, I suppose, research from the Derry University group goes, uh, shows that Derry hasn't progressed 
since the Good Friday Agreement, we haven't done as well. And our economy has actually shrunk. We are the only city on these islands which is get is looking at net migration. So and, and, and that's Donegal too. Sorry, I, I I know I'm talking about Derry, but I'm talking about uh, the Northwest as a whole. And uh, there's also the, the, the same issues with it. Uh, entire GAA teams in Donegal have gone and they're now in Australia. And you're looking at the the the, 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 the teams can't field. Uh, I, I, and again, it's down to that sort of remoteness and marginalisation from the capitals and that's one of the things that the Royal Irish Academy talks about is, is that the need for development independent of the two capitals that would be Derry and Donegal both which is why it's so important Gavin, would you be encouraged by the comments from uh, Minister Simon Harris at the Smart Northwest Conference back in October? Simon Harris actually has been a big supporter of the university uh, campaign and as a higher education minister has done an awful lot to improve uh, and, and to establish higher education facilities right across the country. So I do believe that there is, particularly within Dublin, uh, a want to develop in Derry and in the Northwest. But there's also there, there, there's a real important thing here in that since Brexit, Derry has become, in many ways, uh, it has become an area where everybody realises great development can happen. We're right on the border. We can market and we can trade in two states and, and two major states, both within the United Kingdom and within Europe. So there's a real opportunity for Dublin and for the South here as well, because ultimately it's, it, isn't completely, it is completely within the South's economic interests to have a very strong presence in the Northwest along the border. Gerwin, you are located at Rathmore Business Park in Derry. Can you tell our listeners a wee bit about that? Rathmore Business Park was established on the grounds of uh, an old multinational factory uh, which was closing in 1992. The chief executive then of, of Rathmore, Connell McFeely, went to the company and said, we would like you to, to, to give us back this land. We will develop it. And after negotiations, I think it was it was done at a very, very, very low deal. Invest uh, Northern Ireland. No, sorry, not, not Invest Northern Ireland. The Ireland Funds came in and helped uh, with with some finance. And, uh, and a number of buildings were, were, were built here, including the, this, the, the main centre. And you've got today you've 60 businesses on the park everything from an undertaker's to a doctor's surgery you've human rights groups you have a digital hub studio you've got uh, northwest taxi proprietors you've got a, a major supermarket uh, chemist and a, a, a crash everything on the one site and it has done very 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 well uh, it proved a real boon for the Craigan community during COVID because they were able to access all their services here. The centre kept opening and everybody worked together to ensure that the that the crisis was less of a crisis for, for, for the area. Uh, it is very much community focused and it is very much a social enterprise. Rathmore itself, uh, which I suppose is the, the parent company and the landlord, it ensures that uh, profits from the project go back into the area there's no boogie shop here. There's no pub. The interest about Rathmore is in keeping the 
the, the money, I suppose, within the Craigan area and within the Derry area, uh, rather than in uh, it, it leaking out elsewhere. You've currently, I think, about 300 people working on this site, and they, 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 they all love it. Gerwin, when you are not in Rathmore, what do you do in your spare time? Garden. <laughs> I am growing, what am I growing this year? Uh, with my mother started me in fruit trees she's a real she was an absolute fiend for gardening despite the fact she'd only a tiny wee yard she would get wee sticks stick them in pots and then all of a sudden they'd be uh, sort of of a certain size she said plant that in your garden so I have ended up I now have either 12 or 14 fruit trees which she gave me which are in the garden and then the rest of the time now I do I'm doing strawberries this year I'm doing potatoes I do onions and I do cabbages and tomatoes uh, but that was my mother's thing is, is that she would start something and then say go for it uh, and it's great because I look around the garden now and I just am remembered of her I reminded of her the entire way and finally Gervin what does the future hold for yourself and your business? I think we're going to branch out a little uh, more within the next within the, within the next five years. We have a plan which involves doing more digital media, and we are also going to be doing. I would imagine we're looking at an autumn school as well, where we're we're going to link in with American universities and and others and present lectures including some of those by, by our authors who are very erudite and uh, and respected and, and important people within their own fields and saying you should talk to people and let people hear what they have to say about their own experience and that can be from everything from the likes of the Irish language to journalism to all these different sectors, political sectors Pat Bradley was another guy, we did a book with the former Chief Electoral Officer of, of Northern Ireland, a dairy man and uh, his book was Ballots, Bombs and Bullets and it was just discussing how he he was trying to keep order in the political arena uh, while all this was falling down around him. So, the, as I say, yes, summer schools, uh, a, a digital media, and more books, and many more books uh, if possible. Column Kill Press, we're hoping, uh, is that I, I'm very much confident it's here for the long haul. Garwin Downey, publisher at Column Kill Press and spokesperson for the Derry University Group. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Business Matters. Pleasure, Kieran. Thank you for having me. Well, that's our lot for this edition of Business Matters. Thanks to my guest, Garwin Downey. Thanks to Canis Wilson on sound. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at highlandradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you have an undergrad in any discipline and would like to reinforce it with a Master's in Business, ATU are offering their Master's in Business Management Conversion Program. Call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie.